Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Paul McCartney Archive Podcast. That they should want to dump him out of the floor, right? Just dial 911. Exactly. Save the, the whole movie. hotline, right? Neither one of us liked the picture. Right. That much we agree. So much for Firstborn. Let's recap our reactions to the other movies on this show. We were both disappointed by Paul McCartney's Give My Regards to Broad Street. Too many music videos, not enough Paul. We are back yet again for Give My Regards to Broad Street, both the movie and the album. We'll try to make sense of this big misstep in Paul McCartney's career. I'm not really sure what happened. I think he just maybe bit off more than he could chew. Chris, you mentioned that Paul started working on the screenplay for the movie during Tug of War and Pipes of Peace album sessions, right? That's right. The family was coming in to London by train to attend the sessions for Pipes of Peace. And during that time, Paul, always wanting to have something to do, you know, wrote himself a screenplay. Huh. And the screenplay was a kind of a rumination on what his life was like at the time. Day in the life of a rock star. Very interesting, all of this. It's, it's kind of bewildering to have Tug of War and Pipes of Peace, two great albums, commercially successful albums. And then to get this album, if you're going through the chronology, and to be like, what the heck is this thing? <laughs> Boy, I remember it well because I got this when it came out in the fall of 84. And I got it for my birthday that year, actually, along with some other McCartney albums. And yeah. I remember it being a pretty huge disappointment. Hardly any new songs. And the various re-recordings, most of them are pretty faithful to the originals. So you wonder, what is the point here? Yeah, what is that? I knew, of course, that it was a soundtrack to a movie, and I didn't have access to the movie right away. I think it was about a year later that I got a hold of the movie on videotape. And I guess we'll get to the movie soon enough. I do think that upon reviewing the movie, I have some insights into what happened here. But let's deal with that in the context of the movie itself. Right. Before we do that, and we do have a bit of 
cleaning up to do in terms of what happened when. And why don't we talk about John Lennon? Because right around the time of this movie's release, same year, we have Lennon's last album, officially. Stuff that he recorded for Double Fantasy or was working on as a follow-up to Double Fantasy before his untimely demise. Milk and Honey. Woke up this morning Blues around my head No need to ask the reason why Went to the kitchen And lit a cigarette Blew my worries to the sky I'm stepping out And this was released by Yoko as a kind of complement to Double Fantasy. It follows the same formula. It uses the same cover concept. And it's actually quite a good record. Maybe not quite as good as Double Fantasy since that was actually completed and polished. But in terms of the song content, this is good. Yeah, Geffen released this album. It has I'm Stepping Out on it. Nobody Told Me. Which was the hit of the day. Yeah, it was in fact a hit. Everybody's talking, no one says a word. Everybody's making love, no one really cares. There's Nazis in the bathroom, just below the stairs. Always something happening, nothing going on. Starting back in China So finish what you got It made it all the way up into the, I believe it was the top 10. I didn't know this until I was researching for this podcast. It was intended for Ringo. Yes, I'd read that somewhere. I can't picture it. I can't hear it. It was for his Stop and Smell the Roses album, which Ringo released in 1981. Well, now that you mention it, it would fit pretty well on that album. Yeah. There are a couple little Beatle connections. Paul wrote this song called Private Property. For that record, which I can't remember, did we touch on that at all? No, but we will. Private property. We'll get to. We'll get back to that eventually. Lawrence Juber is on that one, and that's the final incarnation of Wings. And also, you have a George Harrison track, "Rack My Brain." On that, we're getting a little off topic from John, but yeah. So, a Ringo song in the vein of "I'm the Greatest." Nobody Told Me might be one of my favorite John Lennon solo recordings. That's a great song. Well, it got a lot of airplay at the time, and it was what got my attention that this album was out. Everybody's smoking, no one's getting high. Everybody's flying, I never touch the sky. There's UFOs over New York. 
I got it as soon as it came out and found it very melancholy, of course, but it had some huge songs on it, some huge John songs. And as I've said before, I don't have a Yoko allergy. And some of these Yoko songs are really cool, like Sleepless Night, Let Me Count the Ways, and Oh Sanity. Some really fun stuff. Absolutely some fun stuff. itself had three singles, Nobody Told Me, which was released the 6th of January, 1984, Borrowed Time, which came out March 9th, 1984, and then finally I'm Stepping Out, July 15, 1984. Now I don't remember those last two singles getting any airplay at the time. Yeah, I'm Stepping Out, that's just a nice song. It only reached 55 on the Hot 100. You do get the feeling that a lot of these vocals would have been redone. Yeah. I'm Stepping Out, for example. There seems to be a lot of mugging and placeholder stuff in there. I'm sure he would have redone these vocals. Yeah, borrowed time, too. All all of these songs, they're obviously unfinished. And this is the album that also has the potential Beatle contender, Grow Old With Me, one of the songs and the cassettes Yoko gave to Paul. Yes, and a remarkable demo, remarkable little recording. Yeah, that's a nice song. It's just John on a piano with a beatbox singing into a handheld tape recorder. Just a cassette recording, but quite beautiful. George Martin put an orchestra on that demo, and that was released on the John Lennon Anthology box set. It's a little saccharine for my taste. I like the little cassette. Well, Yoko had said that that song, had it been properly recorded, which they were preparing to do, she thinks it would have ended up a standard, like played at every wedding. And I, I don't disagree.
So it's a strong posthumous release from John Lennon and Yoko Ono, a good companion piece to Double Fantasy. We get some more interesting posthumous John releases in the years after that. We've covered some of them already, for example, Min Love Avenue. So yeah, it's just, you know, it's sad. It's the death of Lennon brought back up, and it's also the death of Paul McCartney at the box office. (laughs) My goodness. This movie, just to give you some context, it had a budget of about nine, ten million dollars, and it only brought in one point four million dollars. Mm. Like this was a disaster. And I read somewhere that George I saw this actually, I didn't read it somewhere, I saw it on YouTube where George told Paul, like, don't do it. You need people around you, you need other people. You can't write and do the soundtrack and star in your own movie. And Paul, nope, I'm going to do it. (laughs) George was right. Well, I don't know if you want to start with the movie or the album. Yeah, this is going to be a weird podcast, I think. We're going to freeform it, and I'm going to try to piece this together the best I can. I had to do a lot of digging to understand. So the recording of the album started, and, and it was like sporadic, from November 5th, 1982 until July 26th, 1984. It was done at Abbey Road, AIR Studios, CTS Studios, London. You have the track list, which, you know, we'll run through that pretty quickly, all the songs you know. And then I dug this up. Paul tried to write, and I guess recorded, a Broad Street theme in a major and a minor key, a song called Gloriana. And then he also tried to redo Fool on the Hill, Hey Jude, Martha My Dear, and Band on the Run, and added a a vocal to Goodnight Princess, as well as recording a more classical version of No More Lonely Nights, which I'm pretty sure is in the movie somewhere. Martha My Dear, he never finished it, apparently during these sessions, because he couldn't play the piano part (laughs) as well as he did in 1968. So yeah, aside from all these Beatles songs... We have a few new songs that were started on the tug-of-war sessions. You know, I'm thinking specifically of, is it No Values? And then you have uh, Not Such a Bad Boy, which is also a good track as well. Mm -hmm. Paul, I guess, at some point, he was, you know, he's just like picking up the pieces, but what is this thing? Well, first and foremost, it's a movie. (laughs) So maybe we should start with the movie and maybe we should sort of, you know, cover the album along the way. Sure. That might make more sense because everything that's on the album is directly from the movie. Uh, I know of no album-only tracks here. So maybe let's deal with them simultaneously. So the movie, here's my theory of what happened there, which is that this is what he should have done. (laughs) Here comes Captain Hindsight. But what he wanted, I think, and what he probably should have done was a kind of a video album. Because this thing is made up mostly of music videos. I don't know what percentage exactly, but half of it or so is music videos. Extended music videos for some of his best-known songs and some of his personal favorites, right? And hey, they're great. Well, the songs are, yeah. Some of the videos are good some of them aren't so good but it's basically an album of music videos i'll buy it as an album of music videos do you know elephant parts by michael nesmith i do not okay i might (laughs) this might be a fun excuse to play some elephant parts okay watch this there 
We see it, but they still don't see it yet. Okay, now they've sighted it. There's a better shot there. All right, now then they're over the hill, and he's got it. The kid's got it, see? Holy smokes, what is it? Infinite Rider on the big dogma. What? That was a Laserdisc album made by Michael Nesmith of the Monkees. It was a sort of a comedy album that featured videos, extended and lavish videos for some of his better known songs and some of his new songs and had like comedy skits in between. Saturday Night Live-ish or SCTV-ish skits, fake commercials and things like that. Yeah, it's quite entertaining actually and the music's not bad. But it seems to me this was around the same time, 81, 82 when Michael Nesmith did that. And it just occurs to me that this is maybe what McCartney wanted to do, a kind of a James Paul McCartney movie, where he has a series of lavish videos, and maybe they're connected by some thread, and it's that connecting them by some thread where he got overambitious, and that's where the, I think the whole thing falls apart. It's the fake story of the missing tapes and the you know mystery that's never very mysterious, that where it falls flat, right? Because I just watched this movie today, basically. And if you look at the things like the medley in the studio and ballroom dancing and the for no one in the studio, these things are pretty cool. Yes. These are pretty cool little, you could easily watch that for 75 minutes and be pretty happy, right? Right. And it really could just be a day in the life of Paul McCartney. Hey, I'm going to a video shoot. Hey, I'm going over here to do a radio interview. He could just really kind of make it a docudrama. And forget the pretense of the mystery of the missing tapes, which barely makes sense. Yeah, the, the whole missing tapes thing is interesting. It's how he portrays the record company people with like weird guys in sunglasses and, you know, like that mahogany table in the boardroom. <laughs> His acting throughout, he's just so relaxed the whole time. It's funny, though. There are a lot of like little funny moments throughout. And I like the detail of the fast driving car with the flames and... I don't mind the sets. I loved seeing him, you know, in the early 80s on that Rickenbacker from the Wings era, performing these songs with Ringo. It's fun to see Paul and Ringo together again. Oh, sure. The Warehouse Sessions part of the movie is the highlight. And it's just them playing songs. Ringo is very funny. This is where he and Barbara Bach get together and they're still married. I think ballroom dancing, the video is amazing. And I know George Harrison was a big fan of that. He loved that scene. You get the little extra verse of ballroom dancing. I never really understood why was Paul sitting on the camera, though? Is that like a thing people do? Do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. I think it's just meant to look cool. <laughs> like he's, he's on the camera until he makes his entrance. I was like, is that a thing? <laughs> I'm just bewildered by all of this, so I'm just going along for the ride. Well, let's put the album on and start up with track one here, No More Lonely Nights. I can wait another day Until I 
flutter But another lonely night Might take forever We've only got each other to blame It's all the same to me, love Cause I know Now that song is featured later in the movie, and that's a music video in its own right. Although the actual MTV video, I believe, was quite a bit different from what you see in the movie. But that's a solid song. It's a good start to the record and a solid song. Yeah. Great lyrics. You have a crack set of musicians. Paul's just on vocal and piano. Herbie Flowers on bass. Stuart Elliott on drums. The great David Gilmore on the electric guitar. And then Anne Dudley on synthesizers with Linda and Eric Stewart on backing vocals. You know, David Gilmore, he told McCartney, he's like, give my session fee to charity. A charity of your choice, in fact. (laughs) (laughs) It's a blazing solo that he turns into. Yeah, this song was a big hit. Number two, AC chart. So this was the last song they recorded. Then also, if you look through just all the like even on the album there's a bajillion versions of it you've got an extended version that appears on the first 12 inch of No More Lonely Lights reissued a special dance mix on the second 12 inch that was released then a special dance edit on the 12-inch promo, the American promo, that's a bonus track on the CD, and it's not derived from the last one. It's like a new version entirely. But these are all these are all for the playout version. This dance version where it's like redone. The song's redone, and Paul's playing all the parts. Oh, Chris, there's two more of the the mole mix <laughs> by Arthur Baker, which was a one-sided promo limited edition release. And then an extended edit done by Warren Sanford that was just given to DJs. Like, they really, they really like this song. Or it was easy filler, and maybe they thought it would be an easy hit of some kind. But in fact, the ballad version was what really took off as the yeah, hit. Yeah, number six in the USA, number two in the UK. The song was nominated for a Golden Globe and a BAFTA for Best Original Song. Hey, I remember this one getting a lot of airplay at the time. Paul said about this song... It's a nice track. I think maybe it's good as the old Beatles song. It's similar in tone, similar melodically. It has George Martin's arrangement and production, so it has that Beatles sound in that sense as well.
Paul played the piano and sang the vocal live. Pretty amazing. So this was the last song they recorded for the soundtrack, but it's the first song in the album, and this is the McCartney 2 philosophy we're seeing again, where he's recorded a bunch of songs for an album, and the last thing he does is the big massive hit. It's not a number one hit, but he, he gets it top 10 on both sides of the pond. Now, I guess that little bass lick at the beginning is what the tune of the song was actually based on. Yes, huh? he was fooling around on a bass guitar. And that's the first thing we see in the opening shot of the movie. So let's move through both the movie and the album. And that would bring us to Good Day Sunshine next. A pretty much needless remake of Good Day Sunshine. I would say. It's interesting to note that despite Ringo being in the movie, he refused to re-record the Beatles songs. So, But here we are with a Beatles song, Good Day Sunshine, which is effectively just being used as background noise. Pretty close to a straight-up remake, too, huh? It's like that Todd Rundgren album, Faithful, mm-hmm. where he just... yes. The A side, it's just redoing every song note for note. And you're like, okay, but just because you could, I guess... So if we go through the album, that brings us to Corridor Music, which I guess we don't really need to talk about. It's just some incidental sounds. Gives you a sense of the movie as you listen through the album. So Parasi, in his book, the recording sessions 69 to 2013, he says the track is a riff on Mumbo. I doubt it. Yeah, I doubt it too. Yeah, Mumbo's just a sort of a blues riff. He's just playing some other blues riff, I'm sure. Yeah, there's not much to that. They're walking down a corridor into a recording session. You don't think Harry would go and do a stupid thing like that, do you? Yes, I do. Ready to do one? We get Yesterday, followed by Here, There, and Everywhere, followed by Wanderlust, and... There's a couple variations here. Oh, some significant ones here. I think this little medley is actually worth talking about a little bit. Because we get the brass band throughout. The Philip Jones Brass Ensemble. So you have Philip Jones and the lead trumpeter being Jimmy Watson. Jeff Bryant is on French horn. That's for no one, which comes a bit later. But those are your horn players. So this is a worthy experiment where we take... Yesterday, and we replace its usual string quartet with the brass ensemble. And that's okay. That's interesting sounding. Suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging over me. Oh, yesterday came suddenly. Why is she 
Then we get Here, There, and Everywhere, reimagined as acoustic guitar with brass ensemble, which I also think is neat, you know, worth hearing once. Here, making each day of the Changing my life with a wave of her hand Nobody can deny that there's something there I wander everywhere And if she's beside me I know I need never care But to love her is to need her and then Wanderlust is, I think, what Paul really wanted to do here. Remember how he said he wished he'd use the brass band more? Yeah. Well, here he uses it a whole lot. Huh. It even tracks his melody at times. But here's where we start to enter like George Lucas level redoing Star Wars stuff where it's like. (laughs) But still, it's nice to hear the extra brass band. And I enjoy hearing the brass band treatment, you know, applied to those other songs. Yeah, me too. So I'll give this a pass as a kind of worthy. (laughs) At least there's some there's some rethinking here. It's not just a straight up remake. And then where does the plot go? (laughs) Wait, I don't know where the plot goes at this point. I. Basically, he's going from, this is the day in the life of the rock star stuff, so he's going from engagement to engagement, and along the way, they have a meeting or two, and they discuss the missing tapes and what might happen if they can't find them, but he's still on his way to the next appointment for the day, and in this case, I believe it's ballroom dancing next, right? Yes. It's next on the album, and I think that's next in the movie as well. And so so what? So what? Harry's the guy that stole the tapes? Harry may have stolen the tapes. Harry Torrington. And he's a reformed criminal that Paul, That's right. being the good guy, hired anyway. Yeah. Yeah, we knew about it, you know. That's right. And if they don't get the tapes, Mr. Rath, to whom the studio or the label or somebody owes money and says that he's going to take over the record company. Don't let it get to you. Don't let it get to me. Oh, no, I won't let it get to me. As far as I'm concerned, it's a beautiful summer's day. There's not a cloud in the sky. And there's probably a bluebird on my shoulder if I bothered to take a look. Yeah, well, that's really going to help, isn't it? You lose your grip, I'll work myself up into a frenzy, and we can all go and throw tantrums at each other. Well, it's not my fault. I didn't hire him. (laughs) I love it. Come on, let's spit it out, shall we? It's all my fault. Bad judgment. Once a villain, always a villain, right? Well, my judgment wasn't so bad when I brought you into the company, was it? Then why don't you sing the songs and I'll run the business? Well, talking about running the business, what I'd like to know is, how do we get so heavily involved with this Wrath character? Yeah, well, he was part of that group that arranged the bank loan last year. 
You remember we had a short-term cash flow problem? I showed you the papers. Of course, I never expected to end up like this. Mr. McCartney, ready for your makeup. My, 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 what a wonderful day. Oh, plenty of sunshine going my way. They will have lost $5 million worth of value if they can't get those tapes back. So that's going to sink Paul's company. So Paul, <laughs> Paul sees Ringo at the beginning of that last session. He's like, should we re-record him? And the... They're like, nah. I don't fancy re-recording them. <laughs> I mean, the movie could have been over right there. Like, well, why don't we just re-record them? Okay. Well, what do you think of the ballroom dancing scene? Oh, it's... If I really go through this in my head, I think it's the best one. That or the warehouse stuff. Okay, it's your favorite of the music yeah, videos. it's really good. I like how it's aware of itself, too. I like the, that he's on the camera and that you see the cameras and that the filming of the video is part of the video. That's cool. The, video within the video you thing. get the extra verse i love i know this is such a tiny little thing there's two pianos by the way linda's playing a piano because obviously paul's like well there's a piano in the track someone has to be playing the piano then he jumps up there and it's not in the album but it's in the movie soundtrack where there's a like a doubling of the piano just when he jumps up there, I noticed it, and then it goes away. <laughs> then it goes away. It's like an establishing sound. Yeah, I know, but I appreciated that they made an attempt there. That's yeah, nice. Yeah, it was a fun little detail. I had never noticed that before. I was like, oh, uh, cool, <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> It's quite an elaborate number. There's a lot of dancing, a lot of choreography going on there, a lot of camera choreography, actually, moving around the dancers and stuff. Ringo has a sly line before they do the take where Barbara Bach wants to interview him for whatever the hell, whatever she works for. I don't know if it's a newspaper or what. I mean, you don't... Nothing is really ever established with these characters. This is just how Paul sees the world. (laughs) Oh, she's the reporter that the drummer's going (laughs) to... sleep with and I gotta get the tapes back so Ringo's like I'm on drums <laughs> or something you can have me for as long as you'd like he's like, but I gotta go do this for a couple of minutes and he's like well okay yeah and so for just a little second you're like oh wow I'm watching a movie oh, that's right I'm watching a movie <laughs> I forgot but before too long Tracy Ullman enters the scene and she's an associate of Harry's I believe and is vouching for him that he wouldn't have stolen them. I think they're together. I think that's his girlfriend. Are they together? Well, hi, Sandra. How are you? Fine, thanks. Can't complain. Have you seen Harry lately? Yeah. 
anyone tell you what all this is about? Well, yeah. But it's not true, I know it. He was around the other evening, feeling great, going on about the new album. Oh, no, nothing like that. He was too up on it all. I would have been able to tell you if he was thinking anything like that. I'm his shoulder to cry on, you see. I can always sense how things are. Well, I don't believe it myself, but uh, the pressure is most definitely on. <laughs> Come on, son, let's get out of here. So this is a precursor to Paul's appearance in Tracy Ullman's video in 85, I believe. They don't know about us. Right. I think that's where that little exchange came from. He doesn't appear on the song, but he is he stars in the video with her. So I think it was a little bit of a returning a favor type sure. thing. But it's yeah, it's fun to see Tracy Ullman show up and she shows up just in time to see the silly love songs set piece. What do you think about that? I can't stand it. I don't know why it's in the movie. I don't know. <laughs> I just I don't know. I know, thanks. the bass part on that uh, i believe it's lewis johnson yes. so he does some fancy slap bass we also have steve lukather on guitar here right so this is a pretty happening band and it's ultra tight that's for sure and it's meant to sound a bit futuristic i guess it has the addition of a nice little key change it's kind of fun when the horns come in there's a key change and that's followed by a, an interesting twist on the basic chord changes as well Another key change, I think, back to the original key. But there is some fun stuff going on in this arrangement. But ultimately, who needs it, right? slick for me it's just squeaky clean slick like i love the raw 70s nature i mean it's almost 10 years out right it's what eight years something like that that's right and um yeah i could just do it because okay let's look at it from the perspective of marketing an album so 
we've done these in if let, let's just pretend for the sake of argument everything up to this point is promotional material for the album so what the hell are you trying to sell you have a ballroom 1950s whatever the hell it is number but then you have these in studio things was that was that a promotional video or was that them re-recording stuff despite them saying they didn't want to re-record stuff and then so then you have a slick 80s robot are they robots are they aliens it's supposed to be just futuristic i think that's not a future i want to live in (laughs) silly love songs in the future well it's an 80s vision of future i can see that yeah yeah. It's a totally 80s, like how 80s can we go kind of production, actually. Every element is there. The canned horns, the saxophone, the slap bass. They did it all. I guess I like the slap bass, if I really think about it. Like, put slap bass on silly love songs, fine. But I wish it was Paul trying to... I wish Stanley Clark successfully taught Paul how to play the slap bass, and that was him doing it. So that wraps up side A. You flip this thing over. Another new song, finally. Not such a bad boy. Yeah, uh, should we try not such a bad boy? We have to. Yeah. This time. All right. One, two, three, four. Here we are with Not Such a Bad Boy. This song was recorded at Air Studios, or AIR Studios, London. 
with McCartney on vocals and bass, Linda on keyboards and backing vocals, Dave Edmonds and Chris Spedding backing vocals and electric guitars, and they're pretty good on this track, and then Jody Linscott percussion and Ringo's on the drums. It's a good band. It's a great band. It's a great song. I would have loved to just hear an album of songs like this. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, this part of the movie where they're in the warehouse playing through these three songs is one of the highlights of the movie. I don't think anyone would begrudge Paul a series of these well-done studio recordings with live instrumentation. These are good music videos. It's fine. Yeah, and the lyrics are pretty weird for Paul, too. So he's a bad boy at school. There's some bandits in a pool. He mm-hmm. follows what is a lady of the night, maybe, or he follows somebody into the tent. And then he ends up into in... her tent. She wanted to love me, but he wanted to go. He had to talk to a lawyer to get out of jail. <laughs> well, it sounds like he's a good-intentioned criminal of some sort. Yeah. He's a guy who falls into trouble. He's not such a bad guy. It's cool. It's just a cool tune. I guess it's about Harry, right? Yeah, sort of a reference to the Harry character who's not such a bad boy. Sure, yeah. I can buy that. I'd buy that one. This is the kind of straight-up Junior's Farm type stuff that nobody would ever complain about on a Paul album. Right. Especially with, as you say, such interesting lyrics. Yeah, this is this is good. So this excellent session continues with No Values which is another really, really great rocker. Also in the warehouse, same band, really good stuff. Now, this is a song that dates back a few years, and maybe we should play a little bit of Wings' attempt at it back in Now, of course, they didn't have the song quite down, but they're going with a much harder feel. They're going with a much much more eighth note kind of feel on the whole thing. It's kind of nice. This is, it's really nice, and this is an interesting one. So No Values is another Paul drummed a song, like yesterday. It's from the late 70s, and he had a dream that the Rolling Stones performed this track. And the quote is, 
I won't tell Mick Jagger. He'll probably claim the copyright, as Paul saying that. <laughs> and he, I guess he ran to Rude Studios and put this down. We just heard Wings doing it. And they tried it again with Stanley Clark and Steve Gadd during the tug of war sessions in Montserrat. And I, I would love to track that down if we can find that. But, mm. uh, yeah, no, it, it ended up landing here with Spedding and Edmonds doing electric guitar solos, you know, going back and forth. And, you know, that funny, well, is it really that funny? The, the fake error, the abrupt error, because he's having this vision of what is the guy's name? Bob, the bootlegger? Right. So Harry brought the tapes to the bootlegger, and he's like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Now, we also get on the CD and on the cassette and in the movie, So Bad, in this session. That's actually not on the LP. We were entering the era where you got less stuff on the LP. Interesting. So it's a pretty good So Bad. It's a little pointless because why do you need another So Bad at that point? It's so similar to the original. similar and it's a recent hit so it's not as if he's going to be able to bring it back two years later one one year later right it's not as if he's going to be able to just bring that back a year later so what's the point of featuring this one i'm not really honestly i'm just not really that sure (laughs) i Mm. don't know the whole thing is just that's bewildered the whole time i'm having a fun time i did actually really enjoy watching all of this stuff sure but i was just so confused (laughs) we Oh, I forgot. So bad's in this. Okay. (laughs) And you know, they spend about 15 minutes or so on that warehouse scene. That's great that we have that. Yeah. It's really cool. So from there we go to what starts out as some sort of radio session doing for no one. Oh, that's right. They go to do an interview. It's like publicity. 
it's an interview and then he goes into a studio to do a recording of For No One, a pointless recording of For No One that's pretty close to identical to the original, followed immediately by Eleanor Rigby in this long dream sequence. And Eleanor's dream, that's right. Yeah. So we have a pointless redo of Eleanor Rigby that then fades into this extended sequence composed, I guess, by George Martin. I don't know. Looking at the credits here on the original LP, it's pretty vague as to who actually did that sequence, but the arrangements are credited to McCartney and Martin. So maybe this is an early instance of him doing the Carl Davis thing and sort of singing things to George Martin who orchestrated them and elaborated them. Stay home, she goes out. She says that long ago she knew someone, but now he's gone. She doesn't need him. Your day breaks, your mind aches. There will be times when all the things she said will fill your head. You won't forget her, and in her eyes you see nothing. No sign of love behind the tears Cried for no one A love that should have lasted years Ah, look at all the lonely people up the rice in the church where a wedding has been lives in a dream waits at the window wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door who is it for all the lonely people where do they all come from all the lonely people where do they all belong Well, in terms of the movie, what do you think of the Eleanor Rigby sequence? It is my least favorite part of this thing that I don't like really all that much. It's Boy. really hard. It's so bad to watch. It's really hard to watch. And it goes on and on. And I don't understand any of the symbolism or metaphor or whatever the hell it's supposed to be. I just don't understand. I did like the glowing blue tape box. That was nice. Some of the music was well done, but the sequence just goes on forever. 
If this is just one fourth of a Beatles movie, let's say there are three other plots going on, like in Help or A Hard Day's Night, where John's off doing that thing, Paul's off doing this, George is doing this. Obviously, John's gone. But in my own revisionist imagination, I'm okay with this being Paul's subplot in a Beatles movie. Okay, yeah. Paul's got to find the tapes because our tapes are gone. Sure, that could be a zany running around kind of thing. Yeah, and Ringo's around and he's popping in and I don't know, there's that whole... There's, like, the dinner that Paul doesn't get to. Like, that could have been a funny scene for... I obviously know, and this is messed up stuff to say, but let's say we're going to go with real history. It's a George Ringo Paul movie. Maybe George is hosting some kind of Monty Python-esque dinner, you know, and Eric Idle's in the thing. Put some real actors in this. Is Harry Nilsson still alive at this point? Put Harry in it. Well, I'm afraid we've now reached the point in the movie where Paul drives around and they play songs. <laughs> That's what happens for a good chunk of the next part of the movie. It's him driving around. They play Band on the Run for no apparent reason, the original recording, while, while following him a lot of the time. They're just behind his car. Then he does some stuff. He says hi to Jim, who's sort of a father figure, maybe a play on his own dad, Jim. And he goes out driving some more. They play the long and winding road and they they play the new long and winding road. Okay. Okay. Well, let's stop right there because that I actually really like. I really like this version of it a lot. Do you? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. I don't mind it. Well, okay. I want to go back for a second to the let it be naked version of long and winding road. Yeah, good point. So this was supposedly Paul's original conception of the song. And that version, we talked a little bit about that, I think, on episode one. I wouldn't mind pulling it back up here. I think it's lovely. The long and winding that road before it always leads me here lead me to your it's a very modest soft rockish version it's a bit upbeat compared to the famous version with the orchestrations so the point was that he conceived of it as more of a reflective soft pop song and not as this big syrupy thing that it turned into. So what we get here on Give My Regards to Broad Street is a version of The Long and Winding Road that takes the pop song angle to a new extreme, way further than the Let It Be Naked version does and way further than the Wings Over America version does. I mean, would you say this is the poppiest yeah, one yet? that's true. I guess I've never thought of this. It is quite literally the opposite of why... Like, Paul got mm-hmm. upset for the big Phil Spector thing. I'm with him if that's really how he feels. I prefer the Let It Be Naked version, too. I prefer it to the, the official, let's call it, Let It Be version. But this version I don't care for. So you say you like it. I, I find it just... This really does sound like 80s to me. Like, slathering on the 80s. The reverbs, the saxophone, the electric piano too much for me. Now I'm feeling 80s. 
I've seen that road before It always leads me Lead me to your door I guess if you're going to go 80s, you might as well go all the way. Like this at least, okay. It's good day sunshine. That sounds exactly mm-hmm. the same. And so does So Bad. It's a 60s song that's been redone. So there's at least some new information. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I'm seeing an old mm-hmm. thing dressed up in new fashion. You know, that's 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 cool. Is this the version I go to first? No. Uh, in the context of what we've experienced I mind so it far, a little bit because of its 80s-ness. And... We go straight from there to the No More Lonely Nights playout version where the 80s-ness comes bursting in. Really, maybe for the first time in McCartney's career, I would argue. This is where uh, we, yeah. we found the tapes. It's party time. Right? Gentlemen, I'm sure you'd like to be the first to know. We got the tapes. Goodnight Princess, which is the track after this track, is played in... He goes Jim. to meet that old man, Jim, played by Ralph Richardson, who is... It's obviously a nod to Paul's father, Jim McCartney. And there's like... There's a monkey there. That's right. And he says, Goodnight Prince to the monkey. And this is Goodnight Princess. And apparently there's a version of this tune with some vocals, but it's not been released. Well, that's it. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've had as much pleasure listening as we've had making it for you. Bloody great lads, come on, lay it on them. Yeah, George M. Cohen's classic show tune. And so this is where like we tie everything together. So give my regards to Broadway. Give my regards to Broad Street. Broad Street is a now abandoned tube station. 
It's a railway station in London that they closed, I think in 85 or 86. And so Broad Street is also one of the 25 ancient wards of the city of London. It's a little fun fact for you. So I actually didn't know that until I was doing research. I was just like, what the hell is Broad Street? It's because it's a station that no longer exists. Is there anything on Pipes of Peace that is as, maybe Tug of Peace is the one exception, that is as quintessentially 80s as the sound of this No More Lonely Nights playout mix? And No More Lonely Nights has a little bit of an 80s sound to it, especially in the, the tone quality of the guitar solo at the end. Yeah, but it's tasteful and it's like such a good song that I don't care. No, I think that with the Silly Love Songs redo and the No More Lonely Nights playout version, we really have Paul adopting an 80s sound for the first time. At least, you know, in such an aggressive way. It really has that 80s sound. It's 84 now, baby. 83 is behind us, you know, those 70s holdovers are going away and things are sounding really MIDI and really digital and really synthesizer-y and drum machine-ish and we're starting to hear that on these tracks. Now, you mentioned earlier in the podcast that there were quite a few versions of this No More Lonely Nights playout. Have you heard them all? I think I've heard at least three. I'm pretty sure we can track some of these down. I don't know if I'm going to find that extended edit by Warren Sanford, though. That was a DJ's-only thing, but I, yeah, I'm sure right. it's all online somewhere now. So yeah, that wraps up the soundtrack, and then that's the movie. Oh, and the ending of the movie is that, remember the car Paul was in all the way at the beginning? He arrived at his destination, and the whole thing was just a dream. <laughs> of course. Ugh. So we go out on the track Goodnight Princess, and that's included on the Parlophone 1993 version, and I believe it was included on the original CD version as well. And Ryan, that's not included on the cassettes, right? It's not on the cassette, and it's not on the vinyl. It's just on the CD. Okay, so the cassettes do include So Bad, but not Goodnight Princess. And it's a legitimate bit of sort of 20s-style dance music, I guess. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, the musicians, you have Paul narrating, Eric Ford on the electric guitar, 
Russ Stableford, double bass, Jerry Butler on the piano, Ronnie Hughes and Bobby Haughty on trumpet, Chris Smith on the trombone, Derek Grossmith on alto sax and clarinet, Eddie Mordew, tenor sax and clarinet, Vic Ash on tenor sax, Pat Halling, Lori Lewis, Raymond Keenlesside, and Tony Gilbert on violin, and John Dean on drums and percussion. So that's a full band. Yeah, it's a real sort of nightclub band. So yeah, that's the soundtrack. It hit number one on the UK album chart. The U.S. had hit 21 in the Billboard Top 200. I mean, it charted all over the place in Top 25. You can check that out online. It went gold in the U.S. It went platinum in the United Kingdom. It's like this is all on the strength of No More Lonely Nights. So in a weird way, this was a success. Like it still did a pretty good job for Paul. And No More Lonely Nights... This really is one of the best songs in his solo canon. I mean, as we said before, top 10 in a lot of places, top 40 in many countries. It did well. It went silver in the UK, at least. Right. And this was Paul present on the airwaves, present on MTV, showing up on television shows to promote the album and promote the movie. So he was... Making a dent in the culture. Yeah, which is cool. And, you know, the movie, it's a cool time capsule seeing Paul and Ringo and Linda. And I just think it's, it it doesn't feel finished. It needed a reshoot. It could have been saved, I think, if he had somebody else involved. If he had like a real professional help him write it. Because there is no plot, really. It's a, the whole thing is a dream. (laughs) One, two, three, four. The mystery. The music. The movie. Paul McCartney. Give my regards to Broad Street. Rated PG. Starts Friday, October 26th at a selected theater near you. Oh, well, I don't suppose you have any reviews on this Oh, one. you kidding me? This is going to be my favorite part. I've been waiting a long time to talk about this. So just straight off the bat, if you look this up right now, it has a horrible Rotten Tomato review. You should just check it out. It's very bad. So Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times gave the film one out of four stars. He praised the music as wonderful, but he called it about as close as you can get to a non-movie and saying that the parts that do try something are the worst. Pretty much what we said, right? Right. Dave Kerr from the Chicago Reader, you could call it a self-serving film where McCartney's complacency, not so all-embracing, self-flattery requires at least a hint of self-doubt. But there's no trace of anything remotely that unsettling on McCartney's placid, Buddha-like brow. That's his review of the movie. (laughs) Pretty mean. The New York Times' Janet Maslin. A lot of effort has gone into the film's production values. But continuity seems, at best, to have been a secondary concern. Actually, I'll read one more before my three favorites. 
This big budget Valentine's card from Paul McCartney to himself is totally forgettable as a film. That's Simon Rose, The Essential Film Guide. So these are my last three. These are my favorites. (laughs) Steve Grant from Time Out says, The plot has the distinction of being both uneventful and baffling. (laughs) (laughs) That's almost poetic. What a great review. So (laughs) Leonard Maltin, he has a three-word review, and it is A Big Snooze. And then Gene Siskel, who is Roger Ebert's movie reviewing partner, if you ever lived in Chicago, remember this from television. It's famous otherwise. So this is kind of a long quote, but I found it super, super interesting. So everyone that I talk to in all fields, music, TV, writing, they all want to make it in the movies. Writers get all gooey when their work is going to be made into a movie. I learned that from Paul McCartney when I was the first to tell him that Give My Regards to Broad Street was an awful picture. He asked me, what do you think? Meeting McCartney was very exciting for me, but I said, well, you never lied to us. I can't lie to you. I thought it was terrible. Everything about it. (laughs) He was shocked. Yeah. He got very angry and he almost threw a glass of orange juice in my face. And I said, is it true that the movies are the biggest thing even for you? And he said, after a pause, yeah. Wow. Can you, can you believe that? Give my regards to Broad Street. Uh, is this obviously an autobiographical type movie? It's, uh, it's kind of based on that sort of thing. You know, it's based on a day in my life, but we, uh, we yuck it up a bit. You know, it's kind of parody, really. It's not deadly serious. But I saw it, and uh, the music is unbelievable. I mean, you did you feel funny re-recording like yesterday and Eleanor Rigby? And I thought it was going to feel a bit strange, you know, because it's like a long time since I did those. Um, not so much yesterday, but like Eleanor Rigby and For No One and Here, There and Everywhere. I realized I'd never actually done those songs on camera, ever, 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 you know. Because I'd, you like For No One, I'd write it, mm-hmm. bring it to the studio, record it. And that was it. It got on an album like I never, we never ever included in the stage act, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So that was like I never sung it. And I started to think, well, I mean, you know, this is going to be like, uh, that's the end of that song as far as I'm concerned. I thought, no, I'd like to sing it again, you know. So that was the reason for sort of re-recording them. There's um, one other weird thing about the movie. There's a video game of this movie, Chris. Really? Yeah, it was released for the Commodore 64 <laughs> and the Sinclair... ZX Spectrum Home Computer in 1985. It was developed by Argus Press Software and published by Mastertronic with MPL granting the license along with 20th Century Fox. So they had to get approval from the movie company and from McCartney to make this thing. So we should play some of the audio from, from the game now. It is... It makes no sense unless you read the manual or actually see the movie. You're driving around in the car throughout London. Band on the Run is playing menacingly as like a MIDI sound the whole time. And it's hard to control. It makes no sense. And it just is, for me, like the cherry on top of a disaster. It's like, how did this get made? 
It's crazy to watch. So yeah, here, take a listen to this. Can you imagine listening to that on repeat? It would drive me crazy. <laughs> this is horrible. Wow. Now that is an, an amazing bit of 80s nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of want to buy a copy, but I don't own a Commodore 64. I thought the playout version landed us squarely in the 80s, but this really does it. Wow. Yeah. So there is one saving grace of this whole thing, and it is, interestingly enough, one of the first things we talked about when we started talking about tug of war and that's the thing that brought george and paul back together we all stand together Mm -hmm. released november 12 1984 this was the soundtrack to a bit of animated film which is about 13 minutes long and it was shown in theaters preceding give my regards to broad street like they used to do way back when yes and this was a hit this is another hit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> off of Broad Street to help promote the thing. You know, sometimes they call this song the frog song or the the frog chorus. Right. And this was quite a big hit in the UK. In the UK, it hit number three. It didn't make much of a dent in the United States, though, right? No. But big hit in the UK. And it's still a beloved song in the UK. I and we're right about to see all the best get released in our timeline here. Mm-hmm. So th- We All Stand Together and Pipes of Peace are included on... The UK version of All the Best, but they are not included on the US version. So like that, he really did pay attention to the charts when he issued those discs. So Paul's on the lead and backing vocals, and he arranged the thing. Then the King Singers and the choir of St. Paul's Cathedral are the backing vocalists. George mm-hmm. Martin obviously actually arranged it. And you have, you know, Jeff Emmerich actually back as a engineer on this. And do you know how much of this was actually done in 80 at the very beginning of the tug of war session? Yeah, October 31st, November 3rd, 10th, 15th, and 17th in 1980 were the principal recordings. And then in 84, they polished it up before they released it. So it was mostly finished 
during the tug of war sessions. And this is a great song. It is a bit much. Yeah, I, I really loathe this song. <laughs> I have no use for it. No use. I don't like it. No, I don't. Uh, like you know, I like the I like the lyrics. I think a lot of people don't like it, right? I mean, isn't it sort of like Ebony and Ivory sort of famously hated Paul song? Well, I guess I'm the guy that likes that stuff then. <laughs> It actually re-entered the UK single chart a year later, and yeah, how weird is that, right? Oh, I'm aware that it was a huge hit. So the only other people that have done that were, do they know it's Christmas? That was by Band-Aid, but that's not a group. That's just like a one-off thing. And then Last Christmas by Wham. So, you know, it's a Christmas thing. It is a Christmas thing. And if we want to be complete here, which we are the complete Paul McCartney Archive podcast, there's a humming version of this song, which is the, the B-side, which we can play a bit right now. Let's do it. So this is going to be the last we hear of George Martin until Flaming Pie. This period pretty much wraps it up for George for a while. As we said at the beginning, this was not successful at all, except for the music, which was praised. This sends Paul into a bit of, at least as far as I can understand from what research I've been doing, he goes to a kind of a dark place. We're going to see Press to Play come next he has an unreleased album that is done with multiple producers including phil ramone billy joel's producer and david foster called return to pepperland right yeah right so press to play does a bit better but i feel like tug of war and pipes of peace we saw paul having fun he was whimsical it was a return to form and then broad street it's like he crashed into a brick wall going 95, you know? Well, Ryan, I'm excited about the next episode because I'm a big fan of Press to Play. I think it's an underrated gem. I do think there's some problems with the production on that one, but I think the impression that the press has mostly painted of that is, is inaccurate. And I'm sorry that it's regarded so poorly among McCartney's 
albums from the 80s, but I think it's really a good one. So I'm looking forward to vigorously defending Press to Play on the next episode. Yeah, I don't know if you have to defend it to me. I like a lot of it. And yeah, well, let's save it for that podcast. There's so much to talk about. It's so fascinating, that one. Well, why don't we go out with a little preview of Press to Play? Hit it. You need love. been listening to take it away the complete paul mccartney archive podcast you just sat through give my regards to broad street next up press to play our theme music is martha my dear by john lennon and paul mccartney realized by ryan brady